Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Galatians 5 and 6, Paul is working out the implications of the truth that he teaches in chapters 1 through 4. And the main teaching in 1 through 4 is that we're justified or that we're declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus. And as a corollary, we're no longer under the law. So Paul builds out this, these two different systems. And one is the covenant of the law, which results in people being slaves. And the other is the covenant of faith, which results in people being children, sons and daughters of God. That's chapter 1 through 4. And then beginning in chapter 5, Paul focuses on this idea of what does it mean for us to live as sons and daughters. And one of the implications is that we're free. We're free as God's children. Uh, If you were here last week, Trent Jones walked us through the first half of chapter 5. The two most important verses I see in that that first section are verse 1. It's for freedom that you've been set free. Stand firm. Don't be... Place yourself under that or, or place that, the, the, the yoke of slavery on yourself again. You can see my expansions of that verse behind me. So the idea is, is we've been set free to live as children, as sons and daughters. But there's a temptation for us to fall back into legalism, to begin to live as if we're still enslaved to the law. And that slavery piece, it's, it's enslaved to the law. But that also leads to being enslaved to sin and it leads to being enslaved to Satan. The way Paul describes the, the devil in Galatians is the elemental spiritual powers of this world. And so he's saying the enemy uses something good, the law, to enslave us. And so we, we, we've been set free from all that. We've been set free in order to live as sons and daughters, but let's not put on that yoke of Slavery again. And then verse 6, if you can't remember anything else about Galatians, you can remember one sentence. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. That summarizes the whole book. The only thing that counts before God is faith, trusting in Jesus, that expresses itself in love, seeking the good of other people. Again, if you're prone towards legalism, that's that's good news. It's not box checking, T crossing, I dotting. It's faith. That's what God is looking for. That's what ultimately matters. Today we're going to look, if you can imagine freedom as a road, so we'll say this is a road. Last week the ditch was legalism, which is being overly focused on externals, on, on behavior. The letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, it's, it's the Pharisees in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Guys that Jesus says, y'all go to great lengths, you, you tithe your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the weight of your matters of the law like justice and mercy. You're focused on the externals. You're missing the heart. That was last week. This week, Paul looks at the other ditch, which is called antinomianism, and I never, ever want to hear you say that word out here. You, you won't have any friends if you do that. But in, in the confines of this room, we're going to use it for just for clarity's sake, and it means literally without the law. So the idea is, because I've been saved by grace through faith, well, then I can do whatever I want. I'm free from the law, so I'm free from all restraint. I can, do, I can live however I want to live. So that's the, other, that's the other ditch. On one hand, we have legalists, and on the other hand, we have antinomians. And in both cases, people have fallen off the road of freedom that 
God wants to give to them. So we're going to read the second half of chapter 5 today. We're actually going to take the next two weeks. There's too much material to do just today, but we're going to use, we'll use the same passage next week and this week, so we'll read the whole thing. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, whatever your Bible says, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So today, you're going to be really glad you came. We're only going to talk about the sin part today. We're not going to get to the fruit of the Spirit part. So you're welcome. So the two, the big idea for us, we are going to talk about some of these sins specifically I don't necessarily want to bog down in that, although it is important. The thing I want you leaving with is this picture of freedom, what it is to be free. Verse 1 is for freedom that you've been set free. Verse 13, this is interesting. You've been called to freedom. That's an interesting word. I think of freedom as a gift, not as a calling. To be called is to be chosen or selected to receive some special privilege, and that privilege is living as sons and daughters of God. And so what Paul is trying to say to this church is this is what you've been given and this is what you've been called to, to live as sons and daughters of God. You've got to be careful on both sides of the road. You've got to be careful of falling into the ditch of legalism, which is slavery to the law. You've got to be careful about falling into the ditch of antinomianism, which is slavery to sin. You've got to be aware of both of those ditches. He talks about your Bible may say the flesh or the sin nature, that's the same thing. It's the, the independent part of us that wants to live our own way. It's that part of us that wants to do our own thing, that wants to live independently of God. When we become Christians, that flesh or that sin nature is weakened, but it's not completely destroyed. You know that. You've wrestled with your flesh in the last week. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, and Paul describes this conflict in our hearts between our flesh and his spirit. And there is conflict there. With, even though we've been born again, even though we've been given a new heart, even though we've become new creations, there's still this impulse that we have to, again, to do our own thing, to make our own way, to live independently of God. And that always leads to sin, always, 100% of the time. That leads towards sin because we're, we're living independent of God, of the Holy One. And so that Paul here is saying, just like I, don't want, I want you to stand firm, you legalists, I want you to stand firm on the road. I don't want you to fall into this ditch and place yourself under the yoke of slavery again. He's saying to you antinomians, I don't want you falling into that ditch. I don't want you to take this, 
this gift that you've been given, this, this life that you've been called to, and use it to indulge your own sinful desires or to gratify your own sinful passions. Rather, I want you to use that freedom to serve one another humbly in love. To serve humbly is actually to make yourself a slave. How about that? Use your freedom to become a slave to others. Not a slave of your flesh, of your sinful nature, of your own passions and desires, but to become slaves of others. A legalist needs to hear, listen, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. That's it. Trusting in Jesus, that's the heart of this. The antinomian needs to hear, listen, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Use it for the sake of others, to serve them. The whole law summed up in this one command or fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He's trying to correct these two excesses and keep people on the, on the road of freedom. And every one of us is prone to one of those two ditches. And I hope you know yourself well enough to know which one you're prone to fall into. Me, I'm the, I'm the legalism ditch all day long. That's the direction that I'm going to fall. I'm going to be prone to putting, again, uh, putting on again this yoke of slavery to the law. Others of you are more on this other side. You're prone to, to living however you want. And Paul says explicitly, don't do whatever you want to do. That's 2023 American definition of freedom. That's not... New Testament definition of freedom. Why? Because that actually leads to slavery. Jesus says whoever sins is a slave to sin. You're a master of whatever you submit to. We think about this, or you can see this most clearly if you think about addiction. Initially, you make a choice. You choose to smoke, you choose to drink, you choose to look at pornography, you choose to gamble, you choose to do drugs, whatever that addictive behavior is. But in times, you're not choosing that thing, it's choosing you. And you don't really, you don't have control over that anymore. It's running your life. And your life is bent around fueling that, feeding that addiction. But that's true of every sinful behavior and every sinful attitude. We don't see it quite as clearly. But you can if you think, so this isn't kind. Think about some people you know who are, who are older, more set in their ways. I'm thinking of people maybe late 50s, 60s, 70s. You, what, what do we talk? He's a grumpy old man. That's what we say. That's someone who has chosen grouchiness, grumpiness, bitterness, resentment for decades and decades. At some point, they're not choosing it. It's choosing them. She's just a bitter old woman. She didn't start out that way. But at some point, she chose bitterness. And then bitterness chose her. It's true of all of these attitudes and behaviors. And that's what Paul's saying. Listen, there, there is a road to freedom, but there are ditches on either side. And you've got to be aware of both. Both of these things, legalism anti, and antinomianism, both of those are forms of slavery. And you've been set free from that. You've been called to something more and to something better, to live as sons and daughters. And then he lists these 15 sinful acts. We are not going to go through all 15. If you want some, a description... You can click on that QR code behind me or you can tap that little disc on the chair in front of you and it'll take you to some descriptions and you can enjoy some light reading this afternoon. We're gonna pick a few of them that I see. These are not worse than the others. So that's the danger in cherry picking. So I don't want you to hear me doing that and I don't want any of you to think, oh, he's, you, you, you're talking to me. Uh, there's no, nobody's face is in my mind as I'm talking about these things. But these are things that I see as prevalent sins in our community 
and honestly within, within the church and this church, not just the church, but this one. And I, I just, we'll, we'll call those things out and if the shoe fits, we wanna wear it. So Paul divides these sins into four categories, sexual sin, sexual immorality, debauchery, indecency, religious sin, idolatry and witchcraft, interpersonal sin, that's hatred and discord and dissensions all the way through, jealousy, envy, um, selfish ambition, factions, all those things. And then we'll say sins of excess. Uh, drunkenness in your Bible may say carousing or, or orgies. It's basically like drinking parties. That's what that word is. And when I think about the, the things where I see in our community and again within the church and the, the struggles that I see, one, are, it is around places where the New Testament ethic is so out of step with current social and cultural expectations. And I see that particularly when it comes to sex and alcohol. Those are areas where to follow Jesus is gonna, you're swimming upstream against just about every cultural expectation and understanding to the point of, uh, in some cases, to follow Jesus in those areas, it makes you weird. And that, not, not just different, but weird. Like, why would you, why do you think that? So sexual immorality is a broad term and it refers to all sexual activity outside of marriage. And the Bible defines marriage as between a man and a woman. That's not how our society defines it, but it's how the Bible defines it. So any sexual activity outside of that covenantal union is a sin. That's different than what's going on out there. That's true for everybody in this room. For those of you who are parents and grandparents, recognize that's what your kids and your grandkids, that's the world that they're swimming in. For them to follow Jesus when it comes to their own sexual behavior, it, does, it puts them at odds with society at large. And we wanna be supportive of that drunkenness. So I think this is, this, I feel like I pick on this a lot and it's not necessarily fair because I don't drink and so it's easy for me to, to ping it. I don't want you to hear it as, I'm not throwing rocks. I do see it as a huge issue in the church and in the community. People who drink to feel better, whether that's I feel bad and this is gonna help me sleep tonight or whether it's, it helps me feel better when I'm out. I can be more free or more, it helps me socially. If you're using alcohol to help you in really in any way, I would say that's a problem. You're putting yourself under the influence of a substance that doesn't care about you. It doesn't care how you act. Paul says very clearly in Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, and we would say, or with beer, or with liquor. Don't get drunk with any of it, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put yourself under his influence. He actually wants what's best for you, not under the influence of this other stuff that doesn't care about you. And again, easy for me to say, now, I don't want you to hear me throwing rocks. I just, I want you to be honest about your own use of alcohol. I'm not saying you can never have a drink. I'm just saying be honest about why, about how often, and about how much. And if the, the answers to all three of those questions, if they're not righteous, holy answers, then I would say look at the, your use of alcohol. Idolatry, I would say, is the most subtle of these sins. And it's subtle because we don't actually build idols to our idols. 
I was thinking Matt Nelson was sitting right here at the first service, and I was remembering uh, he and his wife, Katie, were in Cambodia for seven years serving as missionaries, and I went to go see him one time, and we were driving around the countryside, and uh, many of the houses had, out front, they had like small houses on a, it almost looked like a mailbox. And at one point, I said, what are those things? And he said, those are shrines to their ancestors. And so it's easy, I'm driving around Cambodia to see the idols. It's not quite as easy to drive around Marietta and see the idols. But we struggle with it just as much. Happiness, comfort, money, success. A lot, sometimes our ideals become idols. We don't live in reality. We live in the fantasy of what we want things to be and actually ask God to serve our idols. Give me this thing. What are you afraid of? You can work backwards to that most likely you're creating an idol to deal with this fear. So a couple of questions you can look down and say, what is, what is, what's the foundation of my life? For most of you, it's not gonna be something instead of Jesus. It's gonna be Jesus plus something else. Money is probably the most common one in our community. It's Jesus plus. What provides my security? What provides my foundation? You can look up and say, what gets allegiance or priority in my life? What competes with Jesus? Again, it's not gonna be instead of, for most of us, it's gonna be in addition to. Idolatry is giving to anyone or anything, worship, loyalty, and allegiance that belongs to God alone. And it's, again, it's subtle because we don't actually have shrines set up in our house. We just have them set up in our heart. And they're a lot harder to see. But they're just as devastating. Start with what am I afraid of and work backward. If you live in an agrarian society, Old Testament, and everything rises and falls on your crop, which means everything rises and falls on the weather, well, yeah, you're gonna have an idol to the sun god and the rain god and the fertility god. Any, anybody that has anything to do with producing a good harvest, you're gonna be tempted to worship that thing because your biggest fear is a bad harvest. What are your greatest fears? Work backwards. That's probably, you're probably creating an idol to placate that fear. And we all are tempted. Just because, again, you don't have a shrine in your house doesn't mean that you're not committing idolatry. This next one, this one scares me thinking about the, the church, our church. These interpersonal sins, I lumped four of them together, hatred and discord and dissensions and factions. All of those really have to do with division within the church. And I, over the last several election cycles, politics has done a number on the church. And it makes me really nervous. We're already into the next election cycle and we haven't even finished the last one. And it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous for us. We could probably tie that back into idolatry if we wanted to, that we're worshiping a party or a person or a platform, putting our faith and trust in him or her or that over Jesus. But the practical outworking is these political divisions shred the church and it should not be so. It looks like, we'll see what happens, but it looks like we're gonna be choosing between the same two guys we chose between last time. And if we're honest, we don't want either one of those guys leading a small group here. Like that's not, they're not, 
neither one of them. But we're going to pick one of them to run our country. And so from a conviction standpoint, some of you are going to say, I can't do either. I'm out. From a place of conviction, you're gonna say, I can't vote. And for others of you, that's deeply offensive that somebody wouldn't. Some of you from a place of conviction are gonna say, I'm gonna vote, vote for, for Biden. And some of you from a place of conviction are gonna say, I'm gonna vote for Trump. And to, for some of you to think that somebody else could love the Lord and vote for that guy, you're going, <laughs> how does that work? How can you be a Christian and think that? And I'm glad we can talk about this now when it's funny. It won't be funny next November because people will start hating you. That's what happens. Think back four years ago. It was horrible. It creates this division within the church. We have to learn how to hold convictions strongly but with humility. Here are the things that you can divide over. Start with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heart of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only son our lord google that we can we can we can divide over those things that's a, those are issues of heresy democrat republican is not we have to learn how do I hold a conviction deeply and respect that you are holding a different one deeply how do we do that in humility again there are things that are we would say, as believers, are, are heretical. We can divide over those things. Those things are not on the ballot. How does the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, lead Courtney to vote for one person and me to vote for another? I don't understand that. He's the same Spirit, so how can he lead us in two different directions? That trips a lot of people up. So here's the answer. I don't know. Here's the secondary answer. Maybe God's more concerned about the formation of his people than the outcome of an election. And so there's something in there for us. And it does, it makes me nervous to think about the state of congregations and churches moving into the next, whatever, 13, 12 months. I just want to encourage you with that. What does it look like to hold whatever the convictions that you hold around the politics and people and the process? What does it look like? You can hold those things deeply but hold them in humility. Those are not reasons to divide the body of Christ. All of these things, these 15, and Paul says in the light, because there's way more sinful attitudes and actions than just the 15 he lists. It's just kind of a representative list. He says, if you do those things, well, then you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. And you may be going, hey, wait a second. We've spent three or four months talking about the fact that we're justified through faith in Jesus, and now you're saying if, if we engage in these particular behaviors, we're, we're going to hell. That's what it means to not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the only other option. And so how do those two things fit together? Or That seems contradictory. It, it's not. If you remember, we've talked about this before, faith is trust, and the most concrete expression of trust that I see I see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the invitation Jesus gives, follow me. And I think about that in the most literal sense. Follow me, and he's physically on the earth walking around. He walks over a 1,000 miles during his three years of public ministry. And so for Peter or James or John or whoever to follow him, it literally means they're walking after him. And if they're walking after him, then they can't be walking after anybody else. You gotta pick. If I'm following him, then I'm not following any of these other things. 
And the same thing is true for us. He's not physically walking around, but that same idea of following him, that, that, that is what trusting him means. To trust him is to follow him. If we're following him, we're not getting drunk every weekend because he doesn't do that. If we're following him, we're not hating other people because he doesn't do that. These actions, they reveal whether or not we're following him. They don't determine whether or not we are. Does that make sense? And the, the, this is technical, but it's important. The tense of the verb there is, is it's present, which means it's continuous action. So this is not, I slept with my girlfriend in college. Am I out forever? This is, is my life marked or characterized by these things? If your life is marked or characterized by any of these 15 things, well, then what that would seem to indicate is you're not following Jesus. So by definition, you can't inherit the kingdom of God because that's what he's the king of. So if we're following him, then our life is going to, over time, look more and more like him. Perfect? No. But it's not our life is gonna be marked and characterized by the things we're gonna talk about next week, the fruit of the spirit. It's not gonna be marked and characterized by these acts of the flesh, by this selfish indulgence. We're gonna take communion as we close and the way we do that here, you'll break off of, come for a road of time, you'll break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and there's gluten-free communion as well and in this, uh, the, the packaged communion. Uh, this is what I want you thinking about as we take communion. Those specific things, yes, if one of those sins really hits you, then we certainly, I wanna encourage you to repent during this time. I, I would love for everybody to identify which ditch you fall into. Are you a legalist? Like me, are you an antinomian? Neither one's better than the other. Picture Trent Jones, who spoke last week, uh, gave from Luke 15. It's a great picture of these two ditches. It's the parable of the prodigal son. There's two boys, and each one is estranged from the father. The younger one, who gets all the press, is wild and reckless. He's physically run away from home. He wishes his dad was dead. He don't want anything to do with his father. And it's obvious. Again, physically, he's run away. He's gone to California from here. He's, he's gone a long way away, and he wastes all his money in wild living. That's the antinomian, and that's some of you, your younger brothers. The older brother, he's the legalist. He's just as estranged from his father, although physically he's still in the house. He has a deep, deep resentment towards his dad. All he wants as well is what his dad can give him. He's not interested in relationship. He characterizes whatever his connection is with his father as slaving. That's what he's been doing. Not sunning, but slaving. He's just as alienated as his younger brother. He's the legalist. And I wanna encourage you, maybe let's just do this. Close your eyes. I'm gonna say a quick prayer and I want you to put yourself in one of those buckets. Holy Spirit, would you show each one of us which of those ditches we're more likely to fall into? The legalist, older brother, that antinomian, younger brother.
Amen. All right. So I'm assuming everybody has some idea and you maybe even knew, you probably knew before we said that prayer, but just to make that solid, which one of those two ditches you fall into and why is that important? Because again, both of those things lead to slavery. Both of them. Neither one is better than the other. Both of them pull us off of this road of freedom. The gift and the calling that God has given to us placed on our life, both of these things are gonna derail that. You're gonna become a slave to the law or you're gonna become a slave to your flesh. Neither one of those is great. So here's what we're gonna try to do. Um, there's, we're gonna pray through two confessions and you just, you're gonna pick the one that applies to you. There's a confession for the older brother and there's a confession for the younger brother and then we're gonna take communion. After you physically take communion, there'll be ministry teams here in the corners and we'll pray with you about whatever you have going on but a few things specifically. One, if you're physically in need this morning, if you're sick, whether that's chronic or not, we wanna we want pray for you. So if you have a physical need, just let the teams know when they're gonna make a cross on your hand with oil just as an outward sign of what we trust is gonna be a work of grace in your life. If there's a specific sin that you were convicted of, I would love for you to confess that and that's not an easy thing to do. James says we confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. We confess to God for forgiveness and to one another to be healed and so these people up here, maybe they may be strangers to you. Maybe that makes it easier, I don't know. But I would just encourage you, if, if you're living right now, if, there's a, if you're living in that, if you would say, I'm a slave to this. I'm a slave to pornography, to gambling. I'm a slave to bitterness and judgmentalism, whatever it is. We wanna, set you, we, we wanna pray for, for Jesus to set you free. And one, oftentimes, one of the steps in that process is actually saying that out loud to somebody else. You can break the power of the shame that you're feeling. It's a demonstration of humility that you're more concerned about freedom from the Lord than you are your reputation with others and God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble and that's what you need. So I would make that invitation. They're not gonna, nobody's gonna counsel you and nobody's gonna judge you. They're just gonna pray that you would know the deep, profound forgiveness of the Father, that you would walk in freedom this legalism, antinomianism thing. Older brother, younger brother. Some of you may want prayer around that. You may say, I'm, I live in that ditch and I don't wanna do that anymore. And we wanna pray as well that God would keep you on this road of freedom. You may have something else going on, but those three things, healing, a specific sin you need to confess, or again, this more broad pattern um, of behavior that's, and, and thinking that's pulling you off the road. So I'm gonna say a prayer. I want you guys to, you know what, let's do this first. Let's do the confession first and then we'll, I'll say a prayer and then we'll take communion to ministry. So you guys can stand. So if you're a legalist, like, so I'm gonna pray both of them. I was gonna try to take volunteers but decided that wouldn't work. So I'm gonna pray <laughs> both of these. So if this is you, so this is me, I'm a legalist. So if this is you, then I want you to put your hand on your heart and we're gonna pray this confession out loud, starting with the word Father. Father, I confess that like the older brother, I'm a legalist. I'm tempted to reject the freedom you give me and to replace it with the yoke of slavery to the law. I'm tempted to earn both my salvation and your love 
through my good works. I focus on the letter of the law and not the spirit. And I'm more concerned about my behavior than my heart before you. Please forgive me. All right, younger brothers, this one's you. So if this is you, put your hand on your heart and we're gonna pray this out loud starting with the word Father. Father, I confess that like the younger brother, I'm an antinomian. I'm tempted to abuse the freedom you have given me to do whatever I want and to indulge my sinful desires. I'm tempted to flaunt your love and your grace through selfish and independent living. I'm tempted to focus on the gifts of freedom and grace that you give and to neglect my relationship with you. Please forgive me. I'm gonna say a prayer while you guys are standing, preparing your hearts for communion. Holy Spirit, I pray that for everyone in this room, that you would minister into every, each one of our hearts the benefits of Jesus's life and death and resurrection, that everybody in this room would know the fullness of your forgiveness, Father, and that we would know as well the gift and the calling of, to, of freedom. I pray that everybody in this room, that we would live free from the law and free from sin, that we would live as adopted sons and daughters. Jesus, we're grateful for your sacrifice for us. Father, we're grateful for you sending your son. Holy Spirit, we're grateful for you making the realities of the Father and the Son real in our hearts. So would you do that now? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 